I'll just start by saying to anyone who's watching, uh, rather than listening, I apologize for the lighting. These are things I wanted to fix before the lockdown, before the curfew, and uh, just wasn't able to. So these sort of unintended shadows, and it's a bit dim. I have all the lights on, and this is the brightest it'll be for this episode. So you won't see all my flaws. You'll see me in sort of a, a bit of a, well, rather tired state. And um, I worked, I worked very hard at uh, at making sure that the episode I released about my grandmother, uh, Afu, uh, was released in an appropriate uh, at the right time, and. Um, she passed away last Thursday, and um, I managed to get the episode out within, uh, well, within three days. And uh, these were conversations that I had with her for, um, must have been up to two years. Two years of um, of conversations about personal matters, about uh, my previous marriage, um, about in-laws, about Tripoli in the 1930s, uh, about walking to school in the 1940s, and the protests that she remembered this is at a time, I mean, this is 1940s history, Palestinian refugees arriving in Lebanon, and the sympathy and support, and she's a student, and she's supporting the Palestinian cause without even knowing where Palestine is, and I think I, I like that innocence, I really, I really enjoyed that innocence, and I hope it came out uh, on the episode, because... Um, what, what I hope really came out was the love I had for her. And uh, what I know for a fact is that she really enjoyed my company. And I'm not saying this because she told me this repeatedly. Um, I've heard it enough times from many relatives and many people that knew her. She was always sort of uh, mentioning that she enjoyed these conversations. And our conversations, of course, predate the podcast, but... I'm, I'm really happy that I was able to include um, two conversations after I started the podcast, and uh, two in particular that touch on the protests since October 2019, and I really loved hearing her thoughts. I think uh, they were poignant and uh, very, very uh, almost astute and and I say this, I'm emphasizing here, her cognitive abilities never declined. Uh, she was reaching 90 years old, and she could have a thorough conversation on uh, on everything that was happening in Lebanon. And I think that says two things here. First is that not much changes over the course of many decades. And the other is that she was always paying attention. Even when she said... In the episode, uh, she did not care for politics. Uh, she was well aware of all political issues. 
affecting her, affecting Tripoli and Lebanon. And um, I mentioned this in a in a tweet that uh, I really think it was a, it was an honor, and uh, I'm very fortunate that I came back to Lebanon. I mean, days before she passed away, and I was able to see her twice. I had planned to see her a third time uh, the day the lockdown went into effect, and I couldn't make it in time before 6 p.m. returning to Beirut just wasn't going to happen, unfortunately. So I wanted to see her after the lockdown, and uh, she passed away just uh, you know, two, one day into the, uh, the lockdown. Um, I'm going to mention a few things here that are very personal, and I think uh, that's fine because it's personal and, and beautiful, and I think I somehow think it's appropriate to share these things because uh, it's a first for me. And I witnessed something very beautiful. And I'll try to sort of put this in some perspective. I, uh, I've sort of, I've seen death now several times um, recently. And my experience with death has not been stopping kind. Um, and my most recent experiences have been violent. And the first one I'll say right off the bat, right off the, I mean, anyone who's watched this podcast or listened knows that, I mean, my experience with my father and seeing him at the hospital, seeing what was left of him was, was very, very, very difficult and was a very sort of, uh, life-changing experience in my relationship with seeing death before me. And um, that's the most brutal, painful, violent, tragic, untimely, unjust way of losing somebody. And at that moment lingers with me. And I released an episode about that moment uh, late last year, Nabad. Another recent experience was my uncle, my bro- my father's older brother, who died three years ago, uh, almost the same date as uh, my grandmother, um, died a violent death, committed suicide, gunshot, gunshot to his head, and a very, very brutal end, and... Uh, I think, uh, you know, there's still that taboo where you don't necessarily talk too much about these things. and But you, I mean, it's still, it's a, you don't want to see somebody, you don't want to see anyone. Uh, you don't want to see what's, you don't want to see their body uh, after that kind of terrible, terrible tragedy. So I kind of maybe, um, I grew unfortunately accustomed to um, to really sort of seeing the maybe the worst sort of aspects of death. And um, in recent years, my closest relative, uh, who I considered really more of a friend than anything, was my grandmother. And I left Lebanon for four years after my father was killed. I left too long. And I, I didn't see her. 
I called her regularly. Uh, I made sure to call her regularly and hear, hear her voice. And I started associating my, my memory of her with her voice. And uh, I don't think I video chatted with her. Maybe if I did, it was maybe once, but rarely, if anything. And these were audio conversations. There's phone calls, the way we know phone calls before WhatsApp video and, and all that stuff and Facebook video and FaceTime. It's just hearing her voice. And I realized that I loved hearing her voice. And um, I think I knew from then that something very special will go, will disappear if I don't capture these conversations. And the, the moment I started returning to Beirut regularly, uh, I had my either my iPhone with me recording with her permission, or I had a little sort of portable mic. I would sit, so I would just place next to her, and we'd talk for hours on end. I accumulated many hours of just her sharing stories. Um, and I, I knew that, you know what, I'm going to remove this uh, pop filter because I think it's getting in the way. So I might pop on occasion, but I don't care. I, um, something about sound and, uh, and voice. And you can have 10,000 photos today on your phone of one person, of one moment. And you can have the same kind of photo repeated over and over. I really don't think it, it begins to compare to hearing someone's voice. And I just, I just loved listening to those recordings over and over. And I brought my professional mics with me when the protest started. And I removed this from the, from the episode, but it took me... I mean, it took me a lot of time to get there when the roads were blocked and the highways were blocked and there's sort of, you had to zigzag across the country to get from one city to the next. But I was adamant to make sure I could capture her thoughts on what was happening because I thought it was very, very, very important to hear somebody that I deeply admired, almost 90 years old, uh, reflect. So, sort of... I'm happy. I succeeded in doing that. Going back to death. So there's this violence that I that I was getting too familiar with. And uh, last Thursday, I got a voice note from my mother that my grandmother had passed on. A, a brief voice note, just letting myself and my younger brother know that we lost our grandmother. With the help of a, of a, of a great friend, I was not able to really do this. I was a bit, I had sort of, I was, I was shaken. Um, a great friend uh, got, helped me sort of get the permission to move during lockdown, filled out the application for me, sent me the screenshot, and uh, I was off to Tripoli in, in the middle of a horrible storm 
I mean, just flooded highway, empty. It's just me on the highway for, for, for stretches and heavy rain, lightning, made it to Tripoli, made it to my grandmother's apartment. My mother, my aunt, her husband, uh, they were in the hallway. And I knew that my grandmother was in her bedroom, already passed on and sort of uh, lying in her bed. And I was given permission to go inside. And the first thought that crossed my mind was that this is the same thing. It's the corridor leading to someone's body. And I just, I knew, it. I, I kind of had this feeling of, I know what that, I know what happens and I know the, I know the intensity of this moment. But at the same time, I wasn't, wasn't too concerned because it wasn't frightening. Sort of the way that they were, I think it's the way my, my mom and aunt and her husband were, I think it was the state that they were in was very calm, very peaceful. And that was very reassuring. It's unusual when you lose somebody to have that sort of tranquility. I just walked in. I walked into the bedroom and lifted the blanket, lifted the bed sheets, and there was my grandmother, completely at peace. Something, something new for me. Completely calm and I needed that. I needed to see her just to know that she she was okay. And she passed on without any pain, without any suffering. And I found out later that it was just a matter of a second or two. She simply passed on playing cards with her daughters at the sort of at the in the living room table she was seated next to my mom it was her turn and she just passed away ever so gently and i saw that i saw that in front of me and i spent i don't know how long actually it could have been 15 minutes it could have been 30 i don't even know it could have been longer it probably was around, well, it, there was a stretch of time I was alone. And uh, I was able to sort of approach her and touch her and feel her warmth. I mean, she had just passed on. To smell her, because that, that scent is as critical as voice to me. And I wanted to make sure I would always remember how she smelled. And she smelled just wonderful. I think the word smell sort of has this odd connotation with it, where it's sort of not seen as a pleasant thing, but for me, that sensory of just remembering her scent, the way she, I don't know, I wanted to just breathe her in. And I, and I, I had my moment with her, and it was so calming. It was almost like she had, I don't know, I knew she was... I knew she had passed on, but I was also not 
sad. I was happy. I was happy for her. I was happy that she just gently faded. Ever so, ever so peacefully. And I think it made the closure very swift and very tranquil and very, very healthy. And I'm not a, I'm, well, the morning has started a bit. Today it crept in. I did tear up a bit thinking about her. I think uh, working hours on end on the episode let me sort of hear her all the time. I wasn't sort of, uh, it sort of a weird blend of work and passion and also loss and and all that but it didn't didn't sort of hurt at the time or it just made me tear up a bit but it didn't hurt today i think i felt it a bit and it'll it'll get worse but uh but i know the process and i know that just over time i now realize that i'm not i'm not startled by this loss whatsoever and i think that's that's something i needed as a complete shift from the from the familiar, at least when it comes to me, of this sort of violent ending to to life, hers was the complete opposite. Um, she wanted to be buried with her father, and with some work, we found out exactly where her father was buried in Beber Remel, um, a cemetery I'd never been to, and uh, it was Friday. The call to prayer and all the sort of mosques sort of in not in unison of course but chanting at the same time the call to prayer echoing and uh, of course it's COVID so not many not many people uh, or just a few we buried her it was very it was a very easy process and her wish to be buried with her father we found exactly where her father was. And I don't know, it just uh, it was just the way, I don't know. I think, <laughs> I, I think I, I gained a lot from this woman. Um, she was very good at uh, making things light, making things easy. She was there when I lost my father. She was she was a she was sturdy and strong and confident and and also sort of she was able to comfort and offer very 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 useful advice and she lost her daughter a few years ago my mom's uh, younger sister passed away abroad in colorado and uh it hurt her, obviously. It'd be impossible to not have it have a damaging effect on her. But she was uh, she was sturdy, and she was I don't know. She would tear up and cry, of course, whenever the subject came up. But she was easily able to go back into something jovial, or make a sort of a, a joke and make me laugh. And yeah, there's this, I don't know if lightness is the right word, but there's a light. There was a light. 
that uh, beamed out of her. And I'm sure about this. Um, I know there a bit of not I, quirkiness is not the right word here. She was she could be an eccentric person at times, and I loved that because her sense of humor is just a refined, classier sort of a, a more a more maybe stoic uh, sense of humor than mine. But my way, my uh, what makes me laugh made her laugh, and what made her laugh really uh, it it touched me and it, it I was always happy when she was laughing at some silly 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 joke or I don't know I think we shared it at some some way we, sh- we were on the same wavelength and uh, many people have told me this and I loved her I uh, I lost my other grandparents years and years ago and I have memories of them that sort of they blend into other memories. They're not really on their own enough. Um, but this sort of, these memories with my grandmother, Afif, Debussy, Miati, Afu, um, they're permanent. And they'll live in me for the rest of my life. One of the stories that, that didn't make it to the episode um, because it was interrupted too often and kind of got mixed up with other subjects it wasn't sort of, uh, didn't fit, uh, was a story that I've heard many, many people from Tripoli, especially the older generations, and actually only the older generations, talk about, which is the uh, the smell of oranges and these orange trees that famously used to sort of surround the old city. And I mean, now Tripoli, just very few of them, left and Tripoli does not smell like oranges but uh, on her street Sheramunda um, the storm passed and then the next morning it was sunny the following day was raining again so we had a sort of a break of a of one day of, of sunshine but it's the cold winter sunshine I don't know it's the right weather it's the the best weather uh, the orange trees on the street looked just, they looked great and they smelled great. And I noticed that her apartment and the orange trees and this sort of this moment I realized, I was like, you know, I, I can kind of just, just imagine if this is what surrounded the city and her building was one of a few on that street. And Tripoli is a a fairly small coastal city. And I just wanted to, I, I, I lived that moment a bit. I, I just, just took a photo. I let the orange tree sort of sit with me. And I looked up to my grandmother's apartment. And I don't know. My first memories of Lebanon are with my grandmother. And this goes back to my first visit in 1985. And my, my family, my, my parents, my brother, uh, we would fly into Syria during the civil war, Lebanon civil war. Couldn't get from Beirut to Tripoli. 
couldn't cross the green line those years. And we'd land in Damascus and take a very long and exhausting taxi drive, taxi ride, all the way from Damascus through Homs, Hama, passing through Halab, sort of going across, and then entering Tripoli from the Syrian border to the north of Tripoli. So Lediye and then well, everything in between. And it was, it was long, but we made it to Tripoli regularly, almost every year from 85 until the end of the war. And uh, I, I mean, my first interaction with Lebanon was with, with my grandmother and her apartment, which had suffered. I mean, she, the apartment was hit several times. There was a sort of, she kept a, a chunk from a mortar shell that crashed into the living room and destroyed sort of a big chunk of the apartment. She kept it and she used to sort of put it, see, it would, for years and years, it was just next to family photos. So you'd have aunts, uncles, cousins, whoever, relatives, photos of myself and my, my family my brother, my mom, my dad, and then this sort of mortar shell just next to us. It's like part of the family. I have no idea what happened to this thing. And you know, in terms of inheritance, I have, I'm going to claim this one if it's still there. And it has to still be there. Uh, she, she kept it. And she was very, very like, almost easygoing about explaining what happened. She would just point to the wall and say, yeah, there's... The shell crashed into the dining room table and it destroyed half the apartment, but that's okay. And, I mean, she would talk about how her her car was destroyed, the missile. Her and my grandfather would park the car nearby and then one just one morning they saw that a missile struck at night and destroyed their car. They didn't realize it. They were hiding indoors. And, you know, you look outside and you realize, okay, that's her car. It's gone. And she would just say it almost like matter of fact. That survival thing that many Lebanese talk about, I mean, it's, I don't know. It never seemed to ruin her day when talking about it. We'd just, she would mention it in passing and then we'd be going to the beach or we'd be going to a restaurant or we'd be taking a walk. Something that happened. Um, I have a memory of a car bombing, and I think it was 85, or maybe 86, a Syrian checkpoint just below at the, uh, would have been the intersection of Mundla and maybe Azmi Street or the one street sort of further up from Azmi. And just a massive car bombing that shook the building. I'm inside, and we're all inside. My grandmother had stepped out minutes earlier to buy groceries. And the first thing we thought was that she, she died. And we're panicking. And I'm a kid. And I don't really know what's going on. Except that I, I, I hear the sirens. I see the smoke. And I look sort of past the balcony. I look down. And I just remember this. Mem I mean, this is an old memory. But it's still very vivid windows shattered, glass all over the sidewalk. And uh, I guess 
dead bodies. And my mom was panicking and she just, she was screaming and she pulled me back from the balcony and, and we really thought that that was it. And then some like five minutes later, my grandmother just walks into the apartment, groceries in her bag. And she was talking about the cucumbers and tomatoes. And we're like, you know, you almost died. And she's, she just didn't really, I don't know. She knew what happened and she was startled as well. But, but it was for her, I don't know. Just she was able to keep her calm during crisis. If there's anything that really I inherited from her, I think beyond our sense of humor, I think it's that. I saw her, I watched her handle tragedy. And she was, she was so strong. Um, I mean, it's not, not nearly as dramatic, but sort of our, the children's bedroom, so where I would sleep when visiting, uh, a bullet sort of went through and there was a, there was a hole next to the one of the beds against the wall. I'm five, six, seven, and wake up early in the morning, and I would sort of peek sort of peek out of that little hole and I could see the building across the street. And I would I mean I would spend long times just sort of looking through that hole and trying to sort of see as much as I could, even though the, the balcony's right there. But I'm a child. Letting my imagination go and just imagining myself maybe doing different things while looking at that wall and spying and I don't know, I don't know. So I was very young. But I recall a very strange moment where I'm looking out of that little hole and then out of nowhere it's sort of a cockroach decides to walk in and I scream and this cockroach comes out and it's flying and it's one of these beautiful Lebanese cockroaches that they really, you know, they, they take off in the summer. It's just this disgusting thing flying. And my grandmother comes in sort of with her sandal and she finds it and she just smacks it. And she looks at me and she says, that's how it's done and walks away. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm pathetic. <laughs> that's, that's how you handle a flying cockroach. Okay. And she was very, she was very, I think she loved, I, I don't know what exactly about me made her happy. I'm not sure. Maybe it's my personality. And she saw it at a younger age and she realized maybe that we sort of, we get along. I'm saying this sounds silly as a grandmother and a grandson, but I'm, I think that's what it was. She would visit us in the States years later. I was older, maybe in my 20s. And she would sort of, we'd take walks together. And she would share sort of scandalous stories with me. And she would curse at times. And I don't, I, I loved it. I loved it. She was herself and she was free. And even on the podcast, I tried sort of including these moments where she's, she, she's they're jokes. They're, they're fun. She can make fun of any situation and get away with making fun of the person in the situation, and she'd leave you laughing, and you'd be you'd feel great. 
and you'd want more. And every time, every time I left, I mean, she was doing this for decades. Every time we'd part ways, the way she said goodbye, and the just like a bit of a devilish joke, but she'd always say, you know, I'm just lingering now until I die, and I'm just hanging out until I die, and who knows when I'll be gone, but I'm going soon. She would say this all the time in different ways, but it was never unpleasant. It was actually, uh, she made it, I think she made the thought easy that, yeah, you know, this woman is going to be fine. When she passes away, she's passing away on her terms. <laughs> she's ready. And I caught this in the podcast. The way she says bye at the end of the episode about the protests, at the end of that moment, sort of before we go back to the dinner, um, she sort of like jokingly says, bye, you know, this, you're going to have to edit this whole thing or maybe delete the whole thing. <laughs> and I, I mean, carefree, completely carefree. Yeah. Half of the reason I looked forward to visiting Beirut these last few years was seeing my grandmother. The other half is everything else combined. So I lost half of the half of the purpose, maybe, for making sure I was here enough regularly. Um, I'm so happy that even though these trips that I made frequently the last few years, even though they took their toll and ended up ending my marriage um i uh i'm so happy i got to spend so much time with an incredible human being and i was able to document her life story and uh posthumously celebrate her words and her views and her her story on the podcast. Thank you.